welcome back to the new and improved podcast. I am Albert. Thank you very, very much for joining me this Sunday, August 11th. How is summer? How many of you guys are on the road right now listening to me pass the time on a long car ride, hoping to fill the void and not fall asleep? If so, thank you very much. So on the show today, I have a very special guest, Mr. Greg Ewell from Upstairs, aka the PIC group of companies. He's the CEO and man, my voice sounds, maybe not to you right now, but it sounds amazing. And I'm trying with these new banging of Olufsen B&O, I guess they call them, uh, earbuds. And that was sent to me by the folks at James Frost Luxury Outfitters down in the Riversdale area. And holy man, my voice sounds so, it's so deep. But uh, I know I don't want to ever take them off because the reality will set in. And uh, man, I don't know what I would do if I had a voice like this for real. Maybe I do. No, I don't. I know I definitely don't. It's very nasally. But uh, in these earbuds, wow, I sound like, geez, I don't know who said James Earl Jones, maybe. Um, Anyway, does James Earl Jones have an English accent? I can't not place that. It's different. Or is that just a southern accent? But uh, one of the great voices of our time. So who exactly is Greg Ewell? Or as I like to call him, President Business. Um, because to many of us, he may be misunderstood or a little intimidating. I mean, the guy looks like Dolph Lundgren, like circa Rocky IV, and then I come in peace with Dolph Lundgren, not Expendables or I mean, whatever, Aquaman Dolph. That, that's a sad Dolph. But uh, in Saskatchewan, he's known as Business Famous. He's the CEO of the PIC group of companies, which he explains in the podcast. But he's also known for his philanthropy within the arts and kids sport. So I've wanted to have Greg on as a guest for a while because he's sort of been a mentor to me for when I was first getting started. And he's just an all-around interesting guy, definitely more than meets the eye. With everyone hashtagging their so-called best life, I can truly say that Greg is doing exactly that. From traveling the world, climbing mountains, doing MMA, to building schools in developing countries, Greg seemingly has got it made, but definitely don't tell him that because if you ask Greg, he's admittedly saying that he's still figuring himself out. So sit back, relax, and enjoy my interview with Mr. Greg Ewell. I do like the fact that you're taking notes. I, that's an absolute of mine, and it served me very, very well. So you're always yeah. taking notes. Uh, yeah, even just to uh, capture a thought that blows through my mind, so that it so that it doesn't blow through my mind. But you don't use to... your phone or anything. You're just no. I, I'm still so paper. It's uh, like I print that. Yeah, you print instruction. So you print it off my email. Yeah, I'm recording by the way. So you print it off my That's email, good. and I print it off your email. So and then that... you're scribbling notes on it, which yeah. is really cool. And so. that redundancy, uh, you know, is certainly part of growing up. It's maybe part of just being someone that spent a lot of time in the bush and making sure that you had your maps and that you couldn't, you know, and that you, they wouldn't go away. You wouldn't lose signal and the, and backup redundancy and backup. That's always something that's I've, that I've always maintained a, uh, 
uh, a strong affinity for and paper. You just can't beat paper. But one thing it also shows, no matter what, whether you're in a client meeting or if you're talking to your friends, it shows our level of respect that you're you're actually donating your time here and you're committing it. Yeah. And I do appreciate it because you're like Mr. Big Time and the fact that you're like scribbling down notes for this like <laughs> totally nonsensical podcast shows me that you respect it a little bit. You know, even My the kids that, are probably listening. It's not nonsense. Yeah, it's going to be so hip. This is going to trend so good between the demographic is 18 and 22. <laughs> they don't give a shit. <laughs> they don't care. The 40 and 50 year old. Exactly. <laughs> Anyways, Greg, I do really appreciate you coming in. And because, you know, I, when I started this, I'm just like, I'm just going to reach out to anybody that I think is remotely interesting. And I keep hearing your maniacal laugh like a floor above. And Sorry about that. Yeah. At least I'm not breaking door, uh, no. breaking drawers and splitting I I, desks in half and like, stuff like that anymore. There? Like, do you ever like lose your temper? Because I oh, think yeah. I've heard you lose it. Oh, yeah, you have heard that then. Yeah, yes. I think I've heard you kind of <laughs> yell because I was closer to your office. I'm on the opposite end. And I, I remember hearing something and I'm like, what the hell was that? Yeah. So that was probably, well, I'm sure I know what it was. That was a deal negotiation on either buy side or sell side. So buying a company, selling a company. And I'm sure like where I broke my desk in half and uh, kicked a drawer a skew out of the desk, which that really kind of wrecked that, was uh, walking away from a deal where somebody was buying one of our companies and just being just so mad at the failure of support that I had been getting from, mm-hmm. we'll say, my team. And they were just scared. Like there's just a lot of people scared because there's a lot of uncertainty. Mm-hmm. It's a lot of uncertainty when you're selling a company, way more than when you're buying a company. You're full oh, yeah. of optimism. When you're selling a company, company there is just a ton of uncertainty and questioning whether you're doing the right thing or not. The other party, the buyers, they may be asking for something extra. They may be asking for something that is just full of uncertainty, like an environmental waiver that, you know, any environmental problem that is found out is they are waived of any responsibility for it sort of after and acquired and like going, uh, I don't know. Like that's a pretty big dark room to walk into. So, so those, that's what caused you to kind of get upset. No, what caused me to get upset was, uh, having, we'll say delegated responsibility. And I've got a great essay on responsibility versus accountability, but having delegated responsibility for something and, and it just wasn't followed up. Right. And it wasn't followed up because they, the person just didn't want to be responsible for something that in their mind was that big. They would rather be held accountable to do a task. Right. And it was the discovery of, you know, and going back to redundancy. So it was the discovery of that task not being followed through either at all in that case, which is why I blew up, or when it's not followed through to f- completion, uh, then, then yeah, that really just drives me crazy. Do you make it a habit to, like, try to keep that under, you know, in check, like the temper sometimes? Or oh, it, absolutely. Yeah. 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 Because um, yeah. are you the guy who raises the intensity in the, in the office, you think? Or, or is there other oh, people yeah. who are able to do that? Because like, to me, you look like the guy who could, like, be the coolest guy or the biggest asshole in a room. I would agree with that. Yeah. And yeah, I would say that definitely describes the first 15 years of my career or maybe 17 years of my career. And the last 15 years of my career was probably was the biggest asshole for the first period of time. And, yeah. and hopefully has been the coolest guy in the last 
10 years specifically that's yeah. certainly when i have been working on trying to take the trying to take the edge off and and making it uh yeah not being but, a corporate bully but do you feel like sometimes the intensity does need to be raised sometimes i mean i feel that with our yeah. company sometimes we're we're like known as like kind of a soft company in the sense mm-hmm. of uh and you just know obviously you know ryan and tony we're just not like mm-hmm. they're not just temperamental people they've t- t- ryan and tony have never once like got angry and really but one time oh. i punched a wall good for you uh, well, i punched a hole in a wall and this is before you moved in. This right before, before you, guys, you moved into the brick building. Br- brick building, of course, <laughs> obviously. No, I'm doing cr- quietly, Bruce Lee. No, it was, you know, when they had, we had the band room in the gym. Yep. I remember, it was, I clearly remember it. it was, we were having an orientation. And I remember for like new students to come in and, and yeah. visit. And I was already stressed to do this other presentation for this other client thing. And then they said, Albert, you got to like help us with this orientation. And I was trying to wrangle up other people. Yeah. And we had just a bunch of people that were like, nah, I'm not, I can't stay late today. Right. And I was getting so upset. Right. And for some reason, it just raised, it, you know, it gets to a point where you, you snap and you can't control it. Right. And I, and I went and I punched uh, the drywall stair case. Yep. That was the old staircase. Yeah. And then my hand went through it. And I remember like, right oh, shit. On. And then oh. <laughs> I remember, <laughs> but I remember coming up and having to tell Ryan and Tony, I'm like, okay, so. There's a hole in the wall because of me. And Good the next you. day, Tony came up, and he, this is the most he's ever been upset at me. He just was, he walked in and said, Hey, uh, so about that wall, eh? <laughs> <laughs> and then they ended up hanging this big painting in front of it. Oh, funny. So, but I also defend it sometimes to say that, like, sometimes we do need to raise the stakes a bit in, a, in, in situations, and you really, you can, you'd, you'd be amazed at how much people can hustle if a little fire has been lit. And yep. maybe it's not necessarily to lose it physically or anything, but there's got to be different techniques to yeah. raise the stakes. And you and I are probably the same. We're probably like former hotheads. I had a huge temper when I was in high school and yeah, in junior me high. Too. And, uh, but I've tried to, turn it into more like use my humor or something yep. or just joke about it yeah. and realize, you know, you know, as you get older, you kind of mellow out, I think. Yeah. So there should be passion. And I always yeah. tell every leader, there should be passion in business. And not only should you not be embarrassed about passion, there should be, you should embrace passion, mm-hmm. should be passion in every business and every one of the leaders. And then I encourage them to let their direct reports have the same gift. Every one of the leaders gets one snap per year. Oh, yeah. Per year. How would you like yeah, that? Yeah, I would Albert? love that because that's usually what it, I average out to. But there you go. Yeah. You get one snap per year, but it has to be epic, kind of like yours was. Yeah. You have to feel embarrassed about having yeah. snapped like you did. And you have to feel like or realize fundamentally that you should go and apologize and to I did. that person or whoever they are. But you don't have to because it's your one free snap for the <laughs> oh, year. I like that. But you know what? I think apologies <laughs> are part of growth. So you have you seen people have oh, yeah. use that? It's yeah. like a hall pass for snapping. Yeah. It's ah. awesome. It's hall funny pass. because... It's like, there, uh, uh, that's my snap. I'd apologize. But Greg said I don't have to. So that's that. <laughs> that's awesome. That's a good rule. We should, I, that would never fly at a zoo. <laughs> Because I'm just like I was talked to later because I've had another a few other snaps at work, but um, <laughs> it's uh, I and I had to read something about like anger management. Okay, so it got to that point, and I realized it's usually I physically have to take my assertion on something like a fridge or a garbage right. can, and it's like you're the coach, you know, you're kicking something. And yep. I I read, and this is the biggest piece of advice, was that. 
people who do that sort of stuff um, have to, con- they're losing control over mm-hmm. something because you're losing control over something and you, That's right. you feel like you're, you're, you just don't have what you normally have, which is yep. that control. And so what you do is you immediately need to like hit something or snap yep. something over your knee to assert that control back. So you yep. feel like you're getting it back. Yeah. And that made perfect sense. Yeah. And ever since I've known that, I've really kind of tapered off like, you know, I've right. like thrown a ball into the ground if I have a bad shot or something. Yeah. But, uh, and we're physical guys. Yeah. And so we're physical. So then, you know, you want to do something physical and, mm-hmm. and yeah, I, I do something physical every day, usually get it twice out. a day, but, uh, yeah. And just, to, just to get rid of some energy. I mean, just every day I, you know, yeah. do stretch and do some weights and stuff like that. First thing in the morning, just to get my back limbered up and get my breathing going and that sort of thing. But I swim or I bike yeah, every day or do weights, and then my son and I were doing mixed martial arts together. All right, I was gonna say yeah. you look like a guy at yeah. fifty. You could still go in the ring and have some mean ground and pound. Well, I, I would, and and I did have a pretty good example this year, which was pretty funny. So after, so you do spar? <laughs> uh, Yuri and I do. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So Yuri and I do spar, and that's really fun. And then when Yuri can't attend mixed martial arts because he's working late or whatever, then I do tai chi. Oh, yeah. Which is really funny. And there is a thing that's self-defense of Tai Chi, where you can use Tai Chi in a more, we'll say, aggressively physical way for a self-defense pro, uh, perspective. Mm-hmm. And that's pretty hilarious, too. So then Haven Sato, he teaches that. Oh, you know Haven. Okay, yeah. yeah. Like that's my guy. Okay, yeah. Yeah, Kung I mean, Fu Panda. I, I went, yeah, I guess. <laughs> I, I went for lunch with him, and uh, my background is in judo. Yeah. So I did a lot of judo back in the day. And so, like, I think we just hit it off just talking about, like, Absolutely. martial arts. I have torn ACL, so I, like, oh. I, that's my excuse. I can't get into it, but uh, yeah. I would. You can do Tai Chi? Uh, yeah, I know. Like, it's <laughs> like, my ancient family's all Tai Chi'd out. So yeah. that's yeah. awesome. So yeah, I, it's, it's, it's good to do something physical every day, and, and it is good to have passion in business. So for sure. keep that up. Uh, on the business side, the funny thing is, I, I also, for the longest time, feel like I owe you an, like an apology. Oh, this is going to be good. He's going through the steps. Here we go. Yeah, it's really <laughs> an apology, but this isn't because I snapped on you. It's because you and I go way back. Yeah. Because you and your dad were like kind of our earliest That's form right. of we business were. mentors. Yeah. Well, if you think about how you got into In the building com- yeah it's because we had a relationship and then that's you right. and ryan went out for lunch and decided to split season tickets to the seahawks that's correct and i've which, always got you to thank for that and, and then i always you, do oh yeah but yeah. then in the in the end it worked out now you, yeah. we, you guys co-own the building with us so yeah it's, it's funny how this comes full circle but um the reason i want to apologize is because i do feel some sort of guilt of like squandering your guys's investment money into our business <laughs> <laughs> no but you know like you'd imagine like we if for people who don't know like me and my buddy travis we oh, created this thing this yep. algorithm amp this amp what was it, is called? it is called vamp vamp and it was basically and now the you know we don't have any ip on it so it's basically the ability to steal the tone from a guitar amp Mm-hmm. And we entered a business competition, and you know, on a, like yeah. now that the statute of limitations is done, you know, the re- only reason we entered that business competition yeah. is because I was sitting there having wings with Trav, and he heard of this thing, and he thought it was like a free cash grab, right? And he goes, "Hey Al, do you want like to write a, a, a thousand word essay, and we can win a thousand dollars?" Yeah, and that's we th- we didn't know we had to set up a business. <laughs> <laughs> and Trav's like a PhD, like yeah. engineer guy, and had a great idea. Yeah, and still, it's a good idea if you could prove the technology. Yeah, 
And then we just kept on getting for, and it was that point where your pot committed and all of a sudden you saw who you're up against and we're like, man, we could actually win this. And we ended up winning like second place and we had $15,000 of your guys' money. And when we got that, him and I looked at each other and we're like, oh, it's a kind of like a golden handcuff kind of like we got this money. This is a long haul, but we just had very little faith in the long term success of it. But we kept on meeting with you guys. Yeah. Yeah. And I do remember meeting, meeting with you and your dad in like the old Robin Crescent. Yeah area and having good chats about just business and uh even back then now say 15 years ago i remember still like watching you going man he's really listening every you didn't phone in like we were like a couple early 20s kids yep and you were in the midst of kind of taking over right and we were just like a side of the table sort of uh project for you guys yeah you were really invested and listened to a lot of this stuff but uh it never went anywhere just solely because trav ended up going to to new zealand and uh but then we did he got sidetracked with that uh uh program that he did get money for which was uh vehicles something with uh electric vehicles or what was was it hydraulics he's a hydraulic kind of specialist but uh anyways i do feel somewhat bad but at the same time hopefully it was just pocket change for you guys in the long run but uh, you guys take those risks yeah it, it never is pocket change but you do take those risks and in that case it was you know that's interesting because it uh it speaks to it's one of the things that i always do is just get repetitions 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 and athletically as an athlete yourself like you practice you practice your free throws by throwing 53 free throws every practice, right? And just, and, or whatever else it is. And so it's repetitions, repetitions. And so in the case of uh, that business plan competition, it was a targeted effort by me to just invest in, so they were looking, I'll back up and slow down. They were looking for donations. And at the same time, I was looking to ply my trade. And what I was trying and wanting to turn PIC investment group into because at the time it was a holding company that didn't do any minority investing but what I wanted it to be is what it's become now which is what's called a family office and we have nine operating companies and then we have 21 or maybe it's 22 minority investments where we're the minority investor and I wanted to get to where we are now way back then and the best way or we'll say the only way that I knew how to do so is you know physically investing by and just getting repetitions and the least expensive way to see a crap ton of businesses opine on a whole bunch of business plans be part of a judging panel just look at an incredible array of different organizations and whoever came second was getting that investment. Mm-hmm. That was just the deal. We didn't pick who we wanted to invest with. We right. just put it up as the second prize. And I did want it to be an investment so that it would be a repetition of a process. minority investment position and a process that would hopefully have a beginning and a middle and an end. Right. And so then, and there'd be failures. And we know that two and 10 are successes by the time it's done. Two or 10, two out of 10 are out-of-the-box failures, and that's good too Mm -hmm. because you don't waste a lot of time with them. We didn't waste any time with you guys. Uh, The money just dissipated as it wasn't going to go anywhere. And then the six that just linger and you have hope is just mind-numbing, and it's just it's brain damage. Yeah, we burnt out fast. Yeah, that's a gift. 
<laughs> well, yeah, fail fast, right? Fail That's fast. what we always say. And like we tried yeah. it and tried to commercialize it. The big issue was um, trying to, we went down to Indianapolis to talk to some big companies about this technology and they stopped us from even saying what the technology right. was because they said, if you don't have IP, we, we might be working on the exact That's same right. thing. And that might cause an issue. And so I got to learn that. I got to learn a bunch of that stuff about how IP works. And that became valuable. And so how old would you have been back then? Because uh, that was maybe 13, 40. 30? No, that yeah. wasn't 20 years ago. It was 20 years ago. No. The so maybe it was, was, uh, maybe, I was so then by then it was 15 years ago. Yeah. So you've been 35-ish. Yeah. Yeah. So Because yeah, I came back to Saskatoon 20 years ago. Oh, right. Where were you before that? Edmonton. What were you doing there? Uh, working for a trucking company that we own. So Karen oh. Transportation Systems. Okay, yeah. so you so were actually for that heading company. that company up? and then No, I was an employee. Okay. I went out there as an administrative person and then uh, just started grabbing stuff and just started taking stuff that needed to be done that mm-hmm. wasn't getting done by others or in a couple of cases that were getting done by others poorly. Uh, we'll say in not just my opinion, but, but the senior management's opinion. Um, generally it had to do with the treatment of our employees is where I start to get, uh, uh, where I start to get a little riled up. If our employees aren't being treated very well, even by one of our other employees, then I kind of tend to step in on the things like that. But, uh, so I started out as an operational administrator, uh, responsible for safety and regulatory. And then I got involved in emergency response and then WCB and insurance and Learning then transportation the of dangerous goods and women's and took all that, then took over all the hiring of all the drivers, all the mechanics, all the training of all of that. And then a thing called, uh, um, kind of like it's uh, stewardship of our customer's product to the end user's product, to our customer's customer. So to use an example, we'd pick up a chemical from Dow and we'd be the carrier for Dow Chemical Company. So we'd pick up a load of hydrochloric acid for Dow Chemical, and we'd be hauling it to, uh, let's say, maybe even use a company that doesn't exist anymore, uh, Canadian Frack Master in Red Deer, Alberta. And so then we're hauling that on behalf of Dow. Dow's our customer. Frack Master is Dow's customer. And Dow wants to know that the product is being handled safely from the time it leaves their yard until the time it's safely in the customer's tank and we have left. And that was very important to them because they're a very responsible company, a very good company. And so I took that on as a job and followed through with this product stewardship. Hold on, I think my parents' iPad alarm is going off. I have my mom and dad staying with me for two nights. They're all right now. I have a cousin who flew from Taiwan, (laughs) and she landed in Vancouver. And her with her friends who were like sixty, biked all the way to Swift Current. Wow! Yeah, in a month from Vancouver. Wow! Yeah, and she's like I want to do that. Forty-eight, and and then she left her bikes in Swift Current. Yeah, and then she's um, gonna come back next spring. And go from Swift Current all the way to Toronto. Oh, that's see, I want to go across Canada over the course of my lifetime on a bike. And I don't know if I'll make it. You could totally, but that's do it. one She's thing. Like it took to her 50, a month, and she had a, a sixty-year-old doing it with her too. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, if you're, you know, you just go and you follow the routes and you get your hotels. Yeah, and, and she's done it in Europe. She's done it in South Africa. The garden route from cool. Cape Town to Port Elizabeth. Like she's, yeah, it's cool. And so she's in town. <sighs> 
so I have to go host them later. Good so. for you. Anyways, yeah. Anyways, <laughs> you were talking about the Dow Chemicals. Yeah, and so then just sort of talking about stewardship and and where I was going with that was then having taken on that safety and regulatory uh, responsibility, which would maybe be a customer relationship responsibility, right. is what caused the president of the company to say, "You're coming over to sales." And so then I went over to sales and I kind of did the same thing I had done administratively is that I organized sales, organized customer files, organized routing, uh, understood what the costs were based on the routing. So made sure that the drivers had the routing that we had quoted on, took responsibility for all quotes, basically everything in the chemical division and in the uh, dry chemical division, all the liquids was all mine. And then Mm -hmm. the leader of the business, he kept the cement relationships with those uh, five or six customers, which was still like 40% of the business. And then as a sales guy, I was 60% of the business. And so yada, yada, yada. And three years later, I was vice president of sales. And then the next step up was his job. But he was only 50 and I was just 30. So Mm -hmm. that wasn't going to work. Mm-hmm. So I started looking around so we're, for jobs. Did, did PIC wholly own Karen? No, it was 50-50 partnership. Okay. Yeah. So how much say did you know, the fact that you were a Yule play into the... Luckily you know? and gratefully, and one of the best things that... No, the best thing that ever happened in my career was I did mm-hmm. graduate university and go work for Caron, where the Yule name meant nothing. Uh, to really anybody, but a precious few, like a couple of drivers and maybe a couple of people in the shop. And then, of course, the senior management uh, knew. Uh, so maybe they sometimes thought fox in the hen house. Mm-hmm. But, uh, but you know, they knew. And what they, and they also knew, and, and they do say this uh, now, and they said it shortly thereafter I left. They knew I wasn't sticking around long. They could, you could just tell. And you've been a manager and you've seen people. I mean, you could just yeah. tell that, holy crap, people. this person is blowing through this place. Like, we just won't have enough to contain them. Mm-hmm. So then they blow through. So they, they kind of knew I was going through the place. And when was the decision to move back to Saskatoon? I started applying for jobs and I got a really good offer. And I let my dad know that I, that I had a, a really good offer and that I was going to tell Bruno, my boss yeah. and his partner, that... I had a really good offer, and and I'd let Bruno know I was looking around and why, that that, I I, I remember where we were in Jasper on a camping trip and together with our families and and late night at the fire and smoking a cigar and saying, I, I'm not going to be able to wait for you to retire and I want to run a company like yeah. that's what I want and he knew, like I just said they knew, <laughs> big aspirations. So he knew I was poking around a bit and, you know, he didn't do anything to facilitate it, but he didn't do anything to stop it. Which was great. Which was great. He was perfect. And I learned everything I ever knew and know about management and treating people from that guy. Wow. He's freaking awesome. And he's retired now? Nope. He's still running it. Wow. Oh, yeah. And then you probably work closely with him. Yeah. Yeah. I know, which is so cool. He's my partner. Yeah. And I probably still get choked up. when that first, well, I remember the first day when he introduced me as his partner. Oh yeah, like whatever, ten years ago yeah, or yeah, so. Yeah. That was cool. Yeah, because the person you probably thought was a mentor and then he was. Up. Notwithstanding, he's known me since I was twelve. Right. For- wow. Yeah. And was my dad's partner, and then 
was my boss. But he's still going. And mentored me. Oh, and then that's the funny thing. Just workaholic. Yeah. He is still going. He will die at his desk. So was your <laughs> was your offer to be where you were with PIC? Or no, so no, I'd gotten an offer. I'd gotten an offer from a big chemical company, Nalco, okay. to run a division, uh, a product division, and with a gigantic territory. Like it was a good job and yeah. a good offer, and it really was sort of the next step on my ladder to go up a corporate ladder in a gigantic global publicly traded company. There was no interest in just kind of waiting in the wings with your dad or anything. Uh, I'd decided I was going to go out and make a name for myself and, and make a mark for myself. Maybe, I've yeah. known since I was six that I wanted to work with my dad and hopefully eventually take over the family's business. Like I've always on, known that, but I thought I was going to go out and, and make my mark somewhere and then, and then come in, we'll say with maybe some negotiating leverage or come in with having sort of proven myself. And at that time I hadn't felt that I'd done that yet. Right. And it's probably good to explain a little bit who your dad is because right. um, was he wildly successful when you were really young or did it come kind of halfway through growing up? He left what was called uh, Saskatoon Chemicals uh, when I was six and my sister was four, these two little kids, and he and my mom both left their jobs to start up this distribution business that's now called ClearTech but it was called Prairie Industrial Chemicals. That's where PIC Investment Group gets its name. Oh. So they left their secure jobs uh, with big companies and started up this chemical distribution business that just the two of them were at and soon thereafter, months after, hired their first employee and distributing water treatment chemicals to small towns throughout the prairies. I guess throughout Saskatchewan and in concentric circles around Saskatoon. So that's real entrepreneurism and absolutely amazing. Took the big guts. Test. Took a big risk and sold everything that they owned that they could sell and mortgaged up the house to get all the money that they could accumulate. And based on the budget that he'd produced, that, uh, that we'll say aggregated up to maybe 25% of what was required and then they couldn't get any like long-term debt uh they could get a line of credit so then he went out looking for an angel investor mm -hmm. that would invest and the numbers are hilarious so they sold everything that they had we're talking about 19 early 1970s money 73 74 uh maybe as late as 75 as all this was occurring uh to accumulate twenty-five thousand dollars, and then they went out looking for an angel investor which they found in a wonderful man named Steve Wilshire, who was the owner's representative boss for Saskatoon Chemicals. Okay. Yeah. So oh, that's good. They dad reported to a plant manager named Ernie Pearson. Ernie Pearson reported to the boss of Parsons and Whittemore, Steve Wilshire. And, uh, and then, see, touchy. And then, uh, um, Steve had met dad a couple times and, and sort of knew him. And Steve wrote a $75,000 check for 25% of the business. Really? Really. Hmm. Isn't that incredible? And if you extrapolate that money, it is fairly easily now convertible because we're in 2019. It's slightly over that 
10 times. So the 25,000 is about 250,000 of today's money. It's actually probably closer to 350, maybe 375. Mm -hmm. And that 750 grand is close to a million bucks for 25%. For 25% of a chemical distribution business. That hasn't taken off the ground. That hasn't taken off the ground. It's a startup. And you're investing in a guy with a hat. So he He's got nothing. He took a small doesn't have trip. a PO. Yeah. Wow, hey. Well, he just believed in your dad. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Hmm. And, but it's since grown to be this, like you said it, it's a, a holding company plus because you have and what do you call it now? Like how family you... office is the term that I've learned over the last year. Is that year what they actually so. call it? That's what it's actually called, a family office. Not because it's actually family run. It's, yeah. It's, or oh. it's family money. Oh, okay. Where it's, it's a family's money. Because you're not public or anything. You're... Exactly. Because you're not public. Because that Why don't would they just be call that a private, private equity. Yeah. Because you'd be, if you were public, you'd be private equity. Oh, so family office is an actual It's an actual term. cool term. That's a And if you were a term. merchant bank is when you'd be maybe taking care of four or five families money and you'd be the responsible executive in charge of that uh-huh. and they'd be private investors and then you'd be distributing that money in for the purposes of investing that would be like a merchant bank would right. be the technical term there we're really a family office so is your dad like technically still on the books kind of thing like from a revenue perspective or like profit perspective or he, no. he completely he sold everything out no he did uh he's our biggest Private uh, pref shareholder, okay, preferred so, shareholder, yeah. yeah, and so he's got money locked in, yeah, in that and gets paid, and he's on one of our boards, yeah, and that's it, and otherwise he's a retired dude, yeah, fishing, yeah. fishing and hunting, yeah, yeah. And golfing in the winter, right, that's awesome, yeah, he's that's living awesome. his best life, absolutely, <laughs> yeah, um, so for- all the time growing up, he was a gigantic personality, and even before he started the business. I remember when he was working at Saskatoon Chemicals and I was seeing him in action because we had to respond uh, in the middle of the night, late at night, because there was a pipeline breach. And so it was just, you called him, he was supervisor of production. And and I thought, I want to be that guy. I want to be just like that guy. That's awesome. And so then the whole time growing up and watching him in the business, that's what I wanted to do. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that's, it was, I had clarity of purpose. <laughs> so how long has it been since you've kind of taken over? Uh, that was 2005. This is another cool story. It was 2005 legally, but because I hadn't removed myself from the responsibilities that I had in roundtable management, our real estate business, um, with what we had as a tourism business uh, that's now turned into adventure destinations, and Hydrotech, the chemical manufacturing business, because I hadn't really decoupled myself from that. And my next explanation to dad was, and because I haven't felt like I've really earned the trust and respect of the leaders who would technically be now reporting to me, let's not tell anyone for a year and let me get rid of these responsibilities and work with those leaders and go around and spend time with each of them and endear myself to them at the very least and become valuable to them mm-hmm. at the very most. So that when there's a transfer of title, then it's, well, obviously. Right. Did you ever and run into... that's exactly into, what happened. Did you ever run into an issue of you kind of people looking at, oh, this is, you know, the founder's Ivy League looking son coming in and 
bequeath being bequeathed the the keys to the company and did you encounter any friction from any of the subsidiaries kind of going not from any of the subsidiary companies because i did exactly what i just described like i demonstrated value to them and demonstrated that 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 i had the best work ethic of anybody that they knew and that i was listening to them and that i was helping them in their business and that i was there to help and not there to tell them what to do or Mm -hmm. or be tricky or cute in any way so there was no problem with anybody in our organization at all it was Mm -hmm. an absolute celebration yeah. So you're yeah. right now, PIC is it uh, is it quite a bit bigger than when your dad took over, or is it or when it, when you took over from your dad? Oh my God, yeah, like, yeah. Because like, it was a fairly sizable almost company. four times. Really, it was a fairly yeah. sizable company when you took over, yeah. and then now it's four t- roughly four times the size. That's yeah. pretty impressive. Have you had yeah. a pr- some pretty big hits on the investment side? Uh, pretty big hits like losses. No, I mean big hits as in like successes. Oh God, yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And that's, that's been great. All of that has been, it, yeah, it's just gone well. We've, we've really measured well and we've gotten out of things that were the right time to get out of things. We've just been very objective and truthful. And so it's in, so yeah, we've had some wonderful rewards for our investment, monetary investment, energy investment. Uh, when we invest, we bring a lot of energy, a lot of physical support, a lot of network, a lot of back office support, uh, whether it's a company that we are uh, a majority owner of, that would be one of our daughter companies Mm -hmm. and one of those nine operating companies, or whether it's something where we're the minority uh, investor and we're on the board, we're helping management, we're pulling the rope. So are you putting people in place or are are you the person who's kind of in place on the board for those things? Uh... Not uh, certainly in all of our operating companies, I am, and it certainly started out. That, well, I started all of the boards for all of our operating companies. Mm-hmm. That's how I wished to own our businesses is through a board governance model. Right, and then yes, we've got all of us five portfolio managers are on a variety of our operating company boards, okay. and then in every minority investment, equity investment, where we're the minority, we would usually elect or ask to have a board seat but not necessarily every time and we may or may not accept that board seat and there's different strategic reasons for why mm-hmm. uh, yeah and, oh, and you, yeah and you just got to be thoughtful about each and every circumstance about whether you take a board seat or you specifically select not to mm-hmm. sometimes it's better not to be why an so? activist investor <laughs> why, do you, why do you say it's better to not take a board seat? Sometimes it is because... Uh, what situation would call for that? Um, I would say where your percentage is so low that the... And, and if the board is governed well, then... And your percentage is so low that you're best off staying as a shareholder because if you don't like the way things are going you can rally the other shareholders mm. and at least lobby the board or remove directors. Right. If you're on the board, you're on the inside of the tent pissing out. If you're not, well, mm. you're on the outside of the tent pissing in. So. Right. So you, there's a certain <laughs> amount of leverage that you might have. That's right. Mm. Yeah, your leverage might be better in certain circumstances. 
than to be on the board. I feel we could sit and pick your brain on just general rules of thumb <laughs> of just business for a long time. But again, this podcast is it could go anywhere, and I, I think business it's 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 interesting and it's always it's always fun to talk about it. But yeah. I I do want to spend some time t- just talking about Greg Ewell, like the enigma almost. Uh, <laughs> and uh, I don't want to pump your tires, but you, like it's funny. Like we were talking before we start recording about like you got to know where you are, like as a like who you are in the way you look and the way you kind of carry yourself just and how you've aged because you said you're 50 I'm 40 and I yeah. said like both of us we've probably aged fairly well for, yes, we have. for, for yeah. our ages yeah. but it's funny you know if people ask me to describe you I always try to say just imagine and this isn't an insult by any means but it might. Okay. <laughs> you look like you could be like the bad guy in every 80s business movie. <laughs> oh, no. Do you know what I mean? No, yeah. no, because you're like, you're tanned, you're blonde, you got a full head of hair, you're 50 years old, you look like you could still play football, and you're like the president of a company, like you're president business. You're essentially, yeah. you could be from the exterior, I yeah. think, be very intimidating. And I think when I was younger, I, I was a lot more intimidated because I'm like, okay, you're like this super rich guy, like has access to a private jet <laughs> and, and you're this big larger than life personality that, yeah. uh, but once you get to know you, you're the opposite of that, I think. Hope so. But, but from but, the exterior, you, but that's do, okay. Like, but you know, and that's okay too. Like a person should accept that too. Oh yeah. yeah. And I look like a sidekick. I don't know. Like that's probably the way I look. So it's like, you know, but it is funny though that you are, if you think about like every wall street kind of movie in the eighties, you could look, you could totally fit the bill <laughs> yeah. of like, it's like, I hate that guy snakes in suits. Or you could look, I would just picture you in high school wearing the Letterman jacket with a football in your hand, shoving kids into the locker. Yeah. But what kind of guy were you growing up? Uh, I you think said you I were was, kind of an asshole. I like. think I was probably that jackass that you would quintessentially think of or stereotypically think of. I sure feel like I was now. And uh, certainly having done a tremendous amount of personal development work in, and always, I've always been a learning junkie. So I've always been learning and I've always been improving and I've always been trying to get better. And really trying to get better has been uh, probably like I said, in the first 15 years versus the last 15 years has been more tactical and trying to get better at doing things. And thanks to some really good mentors, and that's another thing I've been really good at is seeking mentors, true mentors, people that are way further down the path of enlightenment than I am and and trying to glean as much knowledge as I can from them. So I'll say in those last 15 years, doing all the work on inside and yeah, trying to figure out what, and trying to figure out why I'm driven, what drives me, what the global purpose is, where we're trying to go and why. Because it's true, I could stop working now. There, I have no reason in the world to work, except mm-hmm. I have about three or four epic reasons in the world to work and so I'm working as hard now as I ever have mm-hmm. uh, or I'll say I'm working as hard now as I have in the most difficult times but in terms of you know work like when you you know when it's tough then you got to dig in you got to work hard and it's not necessarily fun except right now I'm working really hard and it's pretty tough but not super tough and it's really fun Mm-hmm. So, I mean, that's all the good news. The answer to your question is, yes, I was that jackass growing up, I think. Uh, I don't think I was very respectful to people. 
Did you feel like the entitled like jock kind of thing? No, interestingly, I never felt like the athlete. I never felt like the jock. I never felt, and quite frankly, I, well, that's probably uh, open for debate too. I I was going to say, I never was the best player on the team, except as I learn and or hear from others or reflect back, I guess I was uh, in terms of football. I, I was the most surprised person in the room when I got the athletic awards banquet in grade 12. Where were at you? Grad. What high school? Mount Royal Collegiate. Just down the street. Just down the street. This is my neighborhood. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and I got the athletic awards. I uh, got the athletic award. What position do you play? And so in high school, I had played quarterback. And then because I wanted to play football and I wanted to be good and I got on the weights and I got on the track and I was doing all kinds of stuff. I, I was quarterback in grade, uh, I played Kinsman tackle football. Yay for Kinsman tackle football. That was awesome. And played all kinds of different stuff there. You just kind of play whatever. And then in grade 10, I was quarterback. Grade 11, I was quarterback. And when I came back in grade 12 for spring camp, I was backup quarterback and starting middle linebacker. I got swallow. big. No, no, no. I mean, it, you know what? It was kind of tough because I was wanting to be quarterback. I thought that was the key position. But like I, I was like one of the biggest guys on the team. Yeah. Like and well, muscularly. How big are you now? Are you like, you're like 6'1", one, six two. Yeah, shrinking. Are you? Yeah. Are, are you noticing shrinking. the atrophy, or is it just the fact that you're eating different and you're exercising, doing different types? Of yeah, sports? that. But then there's also I think my height is going down too, just from herniated discs in my oh, back and man. stuff like that. And uh, that's life, man. That's but still, you're a middle linebacker. Yeah. And so then I was middle linebacker and backup quarterback. So that was really fun. And that grade 12 year was just fun flying around. And I was in track Huskies and I was in basketball. And then, yeah, and then I went and played Hilltops. And I was certainly no less a jackass when I was playing Hilltops. I was certainly, that was probably the the, the crowning moment of my jackassedness for those I five years. I can just years. picture, did you have like sweet flow? Did you have like the little flow down the back? Oh, yeah. I can imagine. I had the big mop of hair like landing on the shoulders of the Royal Canadian Air Force. <laughs> I was that guy. Nice. Nice. Not really. But yeah, you ended up turning into, again, like the more you t- we get to know you, the, the the more cerebral I realize that you are and the more, like you are just a lifelong learner. And yeah. Like at what point, you know, did you kind of realize there's like more to life than just, you know, the people that are around you and that... Uh, my wife began chipping away at that piece of granite over the course of the time that we met. How long have you guys been together? got married. Uh, 25 years. That's bananas. This year, 25 years. Great anniversary. Congratulations. Wedding anniversary is 25 years. So we've been together, I don't know, longer than that, 26 or 26 and a half or something. But yeah. So So really cool. So she started very slowly and methodically chipping away at that. And again, luckily for being a lifelong learner and always being interested in training and always being interested in improvement uh, and always being one that just jumped into stuff with both feet. And, you know, if you asked me to do something, the answer would be yes. Yeah. Anytime sure, I've okay. asked you to do anything, you're always yeah, up for it. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And so when she would ask me to do stuff that would be introspective uh, and you know whatever go to seminars go to marriage retreats go l- read this book I'm like, okay and so then slowly but surely the granite got chipped away and, yeah and uh and we made improvements so 
I guess I shouldn't be, and my wife reminds me, I shouldn't be embarrassed about the guy that I was during the times that I'm embarrassed about that guy. I should probably be more proud about the guy that I've turned into because it could have stayed to be, I could have stayed that guy. Mm -hmm. And I see those guys in business all the time and I see them around town all the time. Mm -hmm. They haven't changed one iota from university or high school. Mm -hmm. But I... I, Intellectually. (laughs) One thing that kind of... changed my opinion about you was that uh, Grace, your daughter. Yeah. She did that five-week internship yeah. where she complained about us making her do chair inventory. Al made her do chair inventory <laughs> and she went around and counted. Th- decided this is a made-up thing and they are making fun of me. And she went and asked people, is this a made-up thing? Is Albert making fun of me? And and they said, oh, Albert's getting you to do that? And she said, yeah. Said, no, he's not making fun of you. He's serious. Yeah, it's go count the chairs. It's basically because HR comes there like, can you find, can you give some tasks? And I yeah. knew that was a task. Yeah. Anyways, so her and I He's got to spend a lot of time. And it was, <laughs> one of the, one of the other things we actually got her to do yeah. was to, to every morning give us like the high school gossip. Oh, good. So she would always, and I, and she, she would snap into like high school, like <laughs> my friend just broke up with her boyfriend. And we're like, really? And then after five weeks, I was really into the drama what was going on. I was like, really? And they're going away to the cabin alone. I'm like, What? <laughs> But then she also would write kid. down kid slang on the wall oh, and say, good. what do you think this means? Because yeah. then we didn't know. Like, she was, like, introducing the words, like, lit. Oh, that's And great. fleek to me. This is, like, a few years ago. But uh, she, so her and I got pretty close, and I remember asking her one day, I'm like, hey, wait a minute. Like, you're Greg's daughter. Like, do you just, like, fly on the private jet when you go places? And she's she just reluctantly was just like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, and I remember trying to, I don't know why I thought I was giving her life lessons. I'm like, just, just know that that's not how the rest of the world flies. Yeah. And she's like, she knows. I know. <laughs> but then she did say, you guys go on a yearly vacation or you did. I'm not sure if you do. And yeah. you would go to like a, a remote country and yeah. help out. Yeah. So yeah. maybe explain yeah. some of that. Yeah. So, and we have done that uh, since 2008. Uh, and the 2008 trip wasn't to help out, but it was to knock something off my, two things off my bucket list at the same time. And so we went and what we started out doing was I wanted to go on big block vacations. Uh, a, a good friend and mentor of mine said like, that's a really good thing to do is to take a month if you can, or at, at least three weeks, preferably four, five, if you can swing it, take a big block vacation and make that your one big reset for the year and for and so he knew the type of person I was he knew the type of job that I had and he knew what I was trying to do and so he understood that you know taking a week here and a week there and long weekend like that's I'm not going to stop working yeah but if I took a month well I have to stop working like you're gone so 2008 we went to Beijing for the Olympics oh really for the month the whole month and we got in there before everybody else was there. Did yet. you watch like the final, like Usain Bolt's like first gold medal? Yeah. Were you in the stadium when yeah. that? No, we were not in the oh, stadium for that. Okay. We didn't have the 100 meter uh, uh, tickets for okay. that race. That would have been uh, but prime, We were in the track. Yeah. We were all over the place. We did for a month. gazillions of events, uh, weightlifting and all kinds of stuff. You brought the whole but family? We, yeah, whole family there for a month. A VRBO. Really? Just yep. went to the place? Yeah. Wow. And lived in a neighborhood in a VRBO. In China. In China, I above bet. a grocery store wow. <laughs> for a month. But that's awesome. It was awesome. But then after that is when I started getting dialed into, uh, and thanks to the Kielbergers 
and Me to We. Oh, yeah, right. And We Day. Is it Mark? Mark Craig. Kielberger and, and Craig. Craig Kielberger. Right, yeah. Yeah, and shout out to Roxanne Yoyal, uh, Mark Kielberger's wife. She's been instrumental in that. All of the stuff that's jewelry, the women entrepreneurship program, uh, all of the stuff that they sell uh, and, and that whole side of things, uh, really that whole merchandise and business side of things, all of which goes back to individuals in the communities. That's all Roxanne. That was a cool thing that she brought forward that idea so uh shortly thereafter we went to peru we went and then we got on the meet stuff where we started going on their trips and doing uh the volunteer vacations is mm-hmm. the name of that we'll say category so it's a volunteer vacation so you go you go, you know we'll go on an, uh, an excursion beforehand and go and see some stuff go and see some stuff uh so if it's for four weeks then maybe it's a week and a half of excursion go and see some stuff and then the volunteer vacation part, and then, you know, a few days of decompressing before coming back. And that's the trip. And then, so then during that volunteer vacation part, then you're in the craziest, coolest, most remote places in the world, third world countries, 100%, um, building schools, building community wellness clinics like a hospital or building hospitals. And uh, it's pretty cool, man. And there's a lot of learning to be done there. For and a sure. lot of interaction. You know, growing up with the kids, uh, with the opportunities that they have, how far, how much do you think that it really affects them to be able to kind of see that experience firsthand? I don't know the answer to that, but I hope that the effect is enormous. And I do know at least they've been and seen uh, third world countries and been in it and been part of it and drove around in it and talked to people from there and they have spent time in second world countries and lived in it and been in it and hiked around in the bush in it and so they know what that definition is intuitively from their own experience mm-hmm. that has to be extremely valuable totally. it just has to be yeah, yeah. and I, you know i've i've yeah. met two of your kids yeah and they both seem to be so so normal yeah. And uh, there's no sense of entitlement. Good. Um, and that's an att- yeah. uh, a, a testament to you guys for yeah. probably setting them straight because you, philanthropy is a, a, a fairly large part of you yeah. and your, your father and your wife. And yeah. uh, so maybe just explain some of the stuff that you guys are a part of right now that really kind of gets you guys going. Yeah. Um, I'll start with categorically, it would be. Anything where someone could, as an individual, they could take themselves and their aspirations and their work ethic and their discipline and work themselves with all of those things out of the situation that they're in if their situation is bad. If their situation is not necessarily even bad, but tough, tough to get yourself out of that situation. It could be anywhere. It could be, and there's where the Remy Modern and our donation to that mm-hmm. art gallery came from. And our donation to the Gordie House Sport Complex. They're both exactly the same thing. I got to grow up on the west side in Mount Royal. Like I got to grow up in an entrepreneurial family mm-hmm. and we didn't want for much. It was It was good and we always knew we had a job. So mm-hmm. we had just that. Like, you know, we weren't... Uh, lavishly rich at all but I always knew I had a job 
And so I didn't have to worry about that part. And I got to grow up around friends that had extremely tough situations and situations where they had a 100% chance of staying on welfare for the rest of their lives, notwithstanding growing up in welfare. And I got to grow up with kids that I got to see get the shit kicked out of them by their parents. And I got to see alcoholic abuse. And I got to see all of that wonderful stuff growing up on the West Side. And uh, so... If you so, then our investment in an art gallery, our investment in Gordy House Sport Complex, and now especially, especially with the track, uh, notwithstanding with football and flag football. So if I'm a kid, and I'm on the west side of Saskatoon, or I'm in the Alphabet District of Saskatoon, and I can use my own self. So for the sake of a pair of shoes, if I'm in the track, for the sake of a pencil and a pad of paper or whatever art materials I can accumulate, and I can dig my way out of where I am and earn myself somehow an opportunity, just a crack in the door that I can, that I can push myself through that door and, and get the thing that might be on the other side. And I can do that with, with what? Well, you can do that with physically. You can do that through sport. You can go to a school on a scholarship with a sport. You can go to school on a scholarship with art. You can go to school on a scholarship academically. And academics is taken care of pretty well. Mm -hmm. But uh, for those that aren't academic, and I was not academic, then maybe that's why I'm not you know, waving the flag for academia because that's a video game. And if you play it the right way, you get good grades. And if you can't figure out the game, you don't get good grades. So for having art and sport, that is why we invest philanthropically in those kinds of things. And then me to we is where I can extend that out to a broader world outside so what's of your, our community. what's your role with me to we uh, As a donor and as a volunteer vacationer. And oh, really? obviously by spreading the word. <laughs> how, do I, how do I get a part of that whole volunteer vacation stuff i'm super would love to do that come with us to kenya in july you name a place i'll try to i'm literally i went to south africa for a month yeah and i was i was like emailing all these organizations like when i was there and it was just like super hard to find like the right one and like i just didn't have a vehicle so but i think i really needed to like kind of attach myself to some sort of organization ahead of time we.org is the greatest Canadian NGO ever. Like in terms of that kind of thing and what it does, that that's it. It's Canadian. Mm-hmm. And I'll tell you when you're over there and you see kids running and they got a Canada flag in their hand or they're, they're singing and waving at the vehicle as it goes by because of the groundwork that they do. I mean, it's so granular. It's so in the community. One of the greatest lines that they repeatedly say is, is that, we want to set everything up so that when we go, we won't be missed. Mm. In other words, we want to give them the knowledge. It's like enablement. Exactly. Yeah. We're not a hand out, we're a hand up. And that's the kind of the rule of thumb for your whole, it sounds like your whole benevolence is mm-hmm. enablement. Like it just is. trying to, and that's kind of the business it's a business mindset. It's like, you know, you want the, the, the cream of the crop to rise, but you also yeah. want to give them a little bit of a, a start and just see who kind of... Uh, totally. ...who comes out out of that. Yeah, that's my attraction. Rather than We.org, you figured it out for me. Yeah. yeah that's it. 
done. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> our, our morals, our philosophy aligns. Yeah. And, and so you go over and so then, you know, it's okay that you go over and you build the bricks of a school and you build the bricks of a, of a wellness clinic and of a hospital. And I mean, that's okay because yeah. then the government is obliged to, uh, to fill those walls with bodies. Right. And so then the government has to do their thing now because we built them. And, the, and, and then the super cool thing they do is they, they put it on a property that then they require a community to be a council for. So like a school board. And they require that organization and then they teach them how to govern. And then you can be hands off. And, and know you that be hands off. Teach yeah. a man to fish. Yep. Person to fish. Correct. Yeah. Last thing I want to talk about here yeah. is you're you're like on the board of the Rough Riders. Is that? Yay! Did I see that? Hey, what a fun thing! Just went on in June, end of June. So that's like a pretty big deal. You're like a Rough, rough Rider board of director. Yeah. And, What's and your job? Like, what did what do you guys need to do as a board? Like, so uh, as a board, I, I guess you know. Yeah, I understand to, the board, yeah. but you know, from the Rough Rider perspective, you know, yeah. like how much, like how involved do you have to be? Uh huh. Because it's on business operations. You have operations. to be very involved involved as a director. Mm-hmm. So just as a director, which is which is its own thing. Like we got one employee, and that's Craig Reynolds, the CEO, and he reports to the board. And he reports to the board. And so then our job, and you know, I had this. I use this as an explanation for how PIC Investment Group owns all of its companies is through a board governance model, and that is our model. It's exactly the same as the rider board, which is the rider board is established through a board competency. So each of the directors would represent a whole bunch of X's in a whole bunch of boxes on a matrix where the matrix titles are each of the things that the riders need to succeed and to execute their strategy. So are you responsible for certain? So my fun responsibility is I am the lead governor. So oh. I'm the representative of the riders to the CFL at the Board of Governors. Oh, really? How cool is that? How did that? you get that? Did they just... <laughs> that was the job that they recruited me for as a director. So you have to go to the CFL meetings. Yeah. And... I say I get to, but yeah, I get to go to the CFL meetings. And so they were looking for one lead governor that would that would uh, be there for all of the terms. So at least two terms. Mm-hmm. So for the next six years, and it could be nine uh, for the next two terms, because... The riders are a community-owned team. Uh, Edmonton's a community-owned team. Almost all of the I think all of the rest are owned by corporations or by an individual, but through a corporation, right. uh, like Maple Leaf Sports and and Calgary We're like uh, the Packers. Flames, and because um, the Packers are owned by like the community. Community, so yeah. they would probably have a representative of their board on the NFL Board of Governors. Right. So same with us. And so what our interesting thing is that's a good analogy with the Packers is. The riders are the most important thing in the CFL. For I mean, sure. they're the most important team. They're the uh, the highest money generating team on a per team basis. They're the highest merchandise team. I think they equal the rest of the teams combined in total merchandise sales. At one point, I heard that they would be 13th in jersey sales in the NFL. Yes. If they were yeah. going to be in that market. Which yeah. Is... They're a big, riders are a big deal. Oh, for sure. And the previous model... Uh, before the wonderful Wayne Morsky changed it to this, was the previous model was that the chair of the board was the lead governor, which kind of makes sense, right? The chair of the board would be the lead governor, except if you're all the other governors, and we'll just say almost all the other governors, and therefore you're the owner of the team, and so then you have the same person, 
your owner or the representative of the owner, the same person is in that governor spot mm. every single year, every single year, every single year. And then the riders have this revolving door every three years. For the lead governor. Yeah, because it's the chair spot. And so then the most important team has the quietest voice with the least amount of experience and is probably generally the biggest pain in the ass because they're trying to figure everything out yeah. for the first year. And then they get their stride for the second year. And then they're gone in their third year. Yeah. Well, that's dumb. So they said, we need someone that can bring continuity that would have the ability and the time and the interest to go to Toronto four times a year, plus Grey Cup, plus the committee meetings, plus our rider board meetings four times a year, and be able to represent us and represent us as an owner of the riders and I'm a shareholder of the riders so sure so yeah. that was what the yeah, that's you, what the governance committee uh, asked me are to fairly do. connected like you've made some donations to the riders as yeah. well so yeah so do you kind of that's kind of an interesting thing it's fun like, yeah did, did you it's have a, a relationship riot. with the riders prior to any of the donation stuff or yeah you're so through, attached to the hilltop that that's right so through my hilltop work mm-hmm. and then through the Friends of the Bull mm-hmm. for the Gordy House Sport Complex, then I had a tremendous amount of liaison with, with the, the riders okay. and have ever since Steve Mazurik and Jim Hobson came in and saved that organization and brought it in to 2020. Yeah. Then and was and we're doing that 20 18 years ago. Like I connected to Maz and he and I have like anything they were doing, I was in. So I we've just kind of books to Steve because we've always had a yeah. relationship with Steve, Greg, and and now the the office yep. right now. Anthony, yeah. I, I thought, yeah, Anthony, yeah. from uh, the Blue Jays. Yeah, yeah, cool so, background. For, for yeah, he is a cool guy. Yeah. I had a five minute chat with him, and I, him and I really just He's bonded over beauty. Blue Jays. Yeah, we're lucky to have that guy. The uh, yeah, I have a, an idea, and you should try to get this through. It's the it's a it's a coffee table book. Yeah. Not about the histories of the team, but the history of the business of the riders. Yeah. And it's all about, because people say, like, when you ask them, like, what was the one thing that happened with the riders and it, that changed changed it? From, remember the Reggie Slacker? Like, yep. the, the riders were kind of this dog team yep. for a while, the Michael Saunders 90s kind of stuff. But then something happened mm-hmm. where almost like it didn't matter if they won because we knew we were just in the basement forever. Mm hmm. And a lot of people say there was this one Edmonton game where it just poured rain. And then mm. it, everybody went in and it happened. It was lightning. And then they came out. And But then there's these diehard fans. And then the yeah. CFL covered it. And it, it kind of gained some momentum. And a lot, huh. you, t- you talked to some people in the in the office. They're like, no, we remember that game. And then wow. it seemed like something switched. Yeah. And from there, and you could actually interview ex-players yeah. and talk about just like the, the why. What is it in the water here in Saskatchewan that the riders are the riders? And... I thought the title could be From Green to Gold. That's a good title. That's it. I, I, that, yeah. I, the title's the only thing I had. Other than yeah. that, you guys can have freedom with the book. That's right. <laughs> good. That is a good title. The, I know the answer, and it's easy to let everybody know what the secret sauce is because it's so hard to do because uh, others could try and do it, and if they weren't genuine in their... Uh, in their effort, it would be recognized immediately, and 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 it would, uh, and it would be, um, they'd be found out. And the riders really are all about the fan. They're all about the fan. Mm-hmm. 
and every other sports team in the world says that they are. And the riders are really all about the fan mm-hmm. and everything they do in every way they think. And, and they just, and that's probably when that light bulb got screwed into the socket is they realized like that those people are there it's coming the back into the brand. stands in the rain, the lightning's over and they're waiting for their team and that's who you're playing for. And the, so the players know it and everybody knows it. And, and the respect to the fan and just everything they do is just all about the fan. And it's a, it's great. And it's funny yeah. the, during the, when Mazurik was in the marketing side of things, mm-hmm. he openly talks about like, just because blue is the color was the Chelsea song. Yeah. And then he just took that and yep. turned it to green as the yep. color. Yeah. And then like the 12th man to 13th yeah. man from Seattle. Yeah. <laughs> straight up. Yeah. I love it. <laughs> but like, you know, like this is pre yeah. real internet. And yep. then like now it's Truly. just part of the folklore of the riders. Yep. <laughs> it's like, yep. that's our song. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, Greg, we could talk for hours. I know we could. We we got so many different things. We could definitely do a part two. I do want to leave you with a good parting gift. Oh, good. And I went today to Tramps. No, not Tramps. And I was was picking up albums. And I always try to pick up albums that are specific to certain guests. And I thought of a few ones. And I'm going to let you pick. Oh, good. And I have... uh, I got uh, a few... Okay. No, I got a... Here's here's three that you can pick from. I'll explain why. Okay. So the first one I have is uh, this one called Babyface. I've never seen this one before. This <laughs> that is, is a, ugly. Babyface. But it's like a, it's a pretty singer. Oh, isn't that funny? But I think Babyface is good because of uh, you Us. look like you're, you you're, and mid, me, buddy. you're in yep. the mid-30s and we're, we're kind of Babyface dudes. Or oh. Gino Vanelli's powerful people. Yeah. Because, Greg, you are a powerful person. Not just from the position of a CEO or you know a, a holding company. But uh, just in the sense of just your personality, your energy, and everything, Thank you're you. a powerful person. Thank but you. also from the like philanthrop- philanthropical side as well. Thank you. You could do that one. Okay. Or <laughs> Kenny Rogers, daytime friends. I figure, <laughs> you and I are kind of like daytime we friends. Are. That's I a good that's point. A, so I'll let you choose oh, one. Kenny's probably so depressing all the time. Oh, Desperado's on there. That's pretty depressing too. I don't know. My daughter Sophia is gonna just murderalize me for not taking the country music one. But, oh really? Uh, uh, yeah, she's a yeah, she's a country bumpkin. But you're uh, not. I don't know if I can. I just grew up listening to country music, driving around with my dad, going to all the different branches. And so that's a part. All of you, the man. different customers. So it's totally a part of me. But oh, I was gonna. I probably oh. know all the words to these songs. The Kenny Rogers one. Oh, I probably do, just because yeah, maybe that, that might that have your was name the on eight it. track that was sitting in there, but uh, and probably yeah. that's what I should have then. Um, that's pretty funny. Sorry, I'm just kind of reading these. Things. Which these tracks? Really yeah. good. It's uh, not Gino Vanelli's biggest one. No, but yeah, but JoJo's there, son of a New York gun. I recognize that. That's really cool. But anyways, I'll let you pick through those. But thank you uh, I do want to say thanks a lot. Oh, you know for, what? For I'm going to take in. powerful people because it's the one that I'm most embarrassed about, and I should probably be really quite proud. And and you know, I certainly work hard to do the right things. So it's uh, and I certainly feel super lucky uh, to be in this spot. But uh, it's kind of it's a it's a funny persona to yeah. You know, and I, I, you can tell that you are very aware. You're very aware and you're very appreciative and it doesn't come off Good. as, you know, and we, you know, I said I wanted to talk about like 
your lifestyle, but at the same time, it's it's difficult because you don't want to come off as ostentatious right. or opulent at all. Right. Uh, but you do have access to some luxurious things, and uh, I think yeah. it's uh, and I think it's good for you to to recognize that how lucky you are, mm-hmm. but at the same time, uh, enjoy the fruits of your labor because you've worked right. hard. Yeah. And some people. You know, I always I'm conflicted about you know being able to enjoy something because you don't want to feel like you're 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 doing a disservice to the people who can't have anything. Right. It doesn't mean you should be robbing. But you shouldn't of, be embarrassed. You sh- and you shouldn't be robbing right. yourself of happiness. But at the same time, as as long as you're cognizant of people in need. Yeah. And and people who who can't help themselves. You yeah. know, I think that's the most important thing. Is like you'll 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 find time. Yeah. To help, and you yeah. have. Yeah. So. And yeah, and you take people along for the ride, and uh, and and that makes it a lot of fun, and because sharing is freaking the greatest thing, and a good Confucius statement is happiness isn't complete until it's shared. It's true. And that's yeah, a good that's one. A good one, yeah. And uh, and then you know, and I don't pretend that I've worked harder than than probably three billion other people out there in the world that just didn't have the same advantage. The yeah. lucky sperm club is a great Warren Buffett chapter. <laughs> and, uh, and so I, I don't pretend, pretend that. And I, and I just, I do recognize and I remind anybody, everybody that works for us gets this, this handbook. And it just says at the end of the day, everybody has a job to do and no one's job is any more important than anybody else's job. You just have a different job and you have a different job, possibly because you have different capabilities not better or worse or anything, just different capabilities than somebody else. And, you know, I'd be a terrible accountant. But I'm a good sales guy and then a great sales and then a great accountant is probably a pretty bad sales guy. And so it just everybody has a job to do and no one's more important than anyone else's and you just got to recognize the role that you play. And that's what I loved about team sport as well. And especially football is it's, you know, you're in a line. And you have and a job to do. You got you a job miss, to do. You miss that block. And you're not catching the ball. That's right. And your work's in front of you. And you got to trust that the person beside you is going to do their job in front of them. And the one beside you on the other side is going to do their job in front of them. And if you start trying to do their job for them, then you just created a hole. Yeah. And someone's going to get hurt. Shoot the gap. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, it's good. Thank awesome. you for this. Hey, well, thanks a lot, Greg. And uh, I'm sure we'll have many of these conversations in the yeah. future. So, yeah. Cool. All right. Beautiful.